everyone. I'm so glad that you can make it out today. You know, as we continue in this series about the fruit of the Spirit, before we dive in, I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself. You know, I sort of grew up in the church. I came to it a little later as a young teenager. And I I loved going to church. And I found out the more I went to church, the more I found out that we kind of have a a secret language. You know, I like to call it Christianese. And nothing illustrates this idea of Christianese better than when my wife and I went to premarital counseling. See, I met my wife late February. We started dating March 5th, and we got married October 25th. And she came to the Lord right as we started dating. So it kind of gives you a timeline there. And so the marriage counseling we did, it was my best friend's mom and her husband, who was the pastor of the church we went to. And so they were really invested in our relationship. And so the very first thing that Jeannie does as as we're doing this premarital counseling is she turns to my wife and she goes, have you been washed in the blood? And my wife, her eyes got big and she's like, "Uh, I I don't know. (laughs) And so Jeannie, she, she, she takes that as my wife doesn't know what it means to be saved. So she gets intense and she starts preaching the gospel to my wife and she's, she's trying to save her. And I'm like, Jeannie, oh, she's saved. She just doesn't know what you mean. And so that makes Jeannie double down. She's like, oh man, we got it. She doesn't know what it means to be saved. And it, and it goes on a little longer. And I'm like, Jeannie, she's saved. She just doesn't understand your terminology. And you know, sometimes our Christianese, when, when someone's new to the church or new to the faith, it can sometimes bring confusion. And there's sometimes these words or phrases or ideas that I'm not sure that we vet them very well. You know, one of those, when, when Keith told me I'd be teaching today and I asked him what the subject would be, he's like, oh, you get patience. <laughs> and like, no filter, just my first thought, my first words out of my mouth were like, oh, can I pray for patience without going through the ringer? Because <laughs> like, that's the old adage, right? Be careful when you pray for patience because you might just get what you ask for. You know, it's that idea, and I think it's kind of a bad bill of goods. It's that idea that we pray for patience, we get trials. You know, I don't really know that that's what we're going to find in Scripture. I'm going to say today, and I think Scripture says, that the source of our patience is the Holy Spirit. Trials are not the source of our patience. Now, that's probably going to ruffle some feathers because I'm sure you can think of some passages in Scripture that might say, well, trials produce patience. And we're going to get there. But before we do, I want you to open up to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. And as you do that, I want you to notice something. Right here in chapter 5, in verse 19, Paul says, the works of the flesh are... And then in our verse in 22, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is. And there's a huge contrast between those two things. But he doesn't just contrast those ideas. He's contrasting how we approach, how we interact with those ideas. You know, you can try to come to God in your own work. You can try to do it in your own flesh. And if you try to work out your salvation with fear and trembling without God, 
I'm going to guarantee you that every single time, the natural result of that is going to be verses 19 through 21. It ain't pretty. We need to come to God in the fruit of the Spirit. We need him as our foundation. And you know, the amazing thing is, do you guys realize that for every believer here, you have the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one for whom nothing is impossible, the one who died and rose again for you, he lives inside you. How amazing is that? You know, as we're talking about this contrast too, it reminds me of another phrase sometimes we like to say, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship with Jesus. And I love this phrase. As long as we're not talking about true and undefiled religion that James talks about that's taking care of widows and orphans, when we're talking about us doing it on our works, about religion that's just about the stuff, that's not what this is about. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's where we should come to. We should come from, we should always work from a place of our intimacy with Christ. It's a collaboration we have that foundation. We have him living inside us. And he gives us the tools that we need to utilize and to live this out. So when you're reading in the word, you're not doing it because you have to. You're doing it because you want to get to know God better. When you're praying, you're not just bringing him a list of wants and needs. You're, you're talking to him, and then you want to listen to him. You want to wait on him. You want to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so we want to come from a, from a relationship. So let's read in, in Galatians chapter 5. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Self or gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. And there's something I want you to notice as we're focusing in on patience today. And it's something actually you wouldn't see as you read this in English. You, you have to look at the original language. And I'm not going to bore you with the Greek word. But the Greek word for patience, it means long-suffering. It means forbearance or restraint. It's that idea, or it can be that idea, of a slowness in avenging wrongs. And so the source of our patience is the Holy Spirit. But then the question is, what do we do with it? Because fruit is not for admiration. It's for edification. You're not just supposed to have the fruit on the vine and it's just looking pretty. <laughs> You're supposed to use it. And this is a big point here, that patience is not meant to sit on the vine and rot. It's meant to be harvested for use. And so today, as we get into this, we see that the source of our patience is the Holy Spirit, but then there's the application of our patience. There's, there's how we use that patience. And you know, so what I want to do is I want to get into, you know, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Peter. I just relate to him. I mean, you know, and if you're not sure what I'm talking about, read the Gospels. You kind of see what I mean when I, when I relate to Peter. And he wrote this letter to the church, and in his letter, in 1 Peter, he gives us five general callings for every believer. It's not a specific calling. It's not a call to ministry or to be a missionary or a pastor. It's a general calling for every single one of you, and there's five of them. And so right here, we see that the first place we need patience, we need patience with ourselves. 
And we're going to see that in, in these first two callings that he gives us. The first one is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. And he says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. conduct. And you know, the first time I read this, I was like, oh man, I can't do that. Because when I saw holy, I thought God was talking about perfection. I thought he was talking about a purity. And I'm like, God, I, there's no way that I can be perfect like you're perfect. But it's the kind of thing where we have to see what the word means. And the word holy actually means sanctification. That's a big word. But all it means is to be set apart. Because holiness, it's not a characteristic of God. It's what defines his character. God is love. His love is holy. It's not like the world loves. God forgives us and he doesn't forgive us like the world forgives. Thank God for that, right? So that's what he's calling to us to. He's saying, I'm set apart and I want you to be also set apart in everything that you do. And then there's a next calling. It goes in line with this. It's in chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We're no longer beggars. We're royalty now. He says, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And I want you to see this. Not only are we set apart from the world, not only have we been called out of that darkness, but we've been called not into our marvelous light. We've been called into his marvelous light. It's his work. We don't want to work from our own flesh. We want to have the fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives. And so there's a journey there. And you know, I don't think anything describes that journey better than Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. It says, Therefore you have, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We see that there's this there's this process, there's this journey that we're on. And that journey starts with faith, faith in Jesus. And when we have that, we get forgiveness. And then the amazing thing is that results in a relationship with God. That's what it means to have peace with God. We're no longer at war with God, we're at peace with him. And then through Jesus Christ, through our faith, we have access to his grace. And that word grace, it's such a large word. I mean, it's a little word, but it encompasses so much. Grace, it actually means God's love, his favor, his kindness, his, his compassion. And you know, there's something I want you guys to see here. Is that, you know, remember Pastor Matt, he was talking about Christ-centered joy. And he was talking about how we abide in Jesus, we live in Jesus, and his words live in us. We give the Holy Spirit room to grow in us. And I love that John and Paul, they're both talking about fruit. I love that they're not talking about our works. Because 
man, I would fail every time if it was just about our works. But fruit, it takes time, doesn't it? My wife, she's a gardener, and I've never seen her drop a seed in the ground, and then just the next day, there's this huge plant with all this fruit. That doesn't happen. It takes time. It takes good soil. you got to put the seed in the ground. You need to give it time to grow and mature, and then finally, it can be harvested. And you know, right at this point, when I was preparing this message, not at this point, but on Tuesday when I was preparing this place, I got a call from one of my best friends. His name's Jeff. You know, I haven't talked to Jeff in like six months. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? And he started telling me all the amazing things God's been doing in his life. I'm like, hey, are you in town? And he's like, well, I'm driving through Idaho, but I'm near Idaho Falls. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) He just was thinking of me. and, And, you know, it was a breath of fresh air to talk to him. And then he asked me, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, actually, I'm preparing a message on patience. And he's like, oh, can I tell you my experience with patience? And I was like, yeah, for sure, go for it. And so he's, he's telling me about how he's a young Christian and he cannot stop cussing. It's just the stronghold in his life and he can't get rid of it. So he goes to a friend of ours, his name's Jerry, and he's this old guy, I love Jerry, he's a little blunt. And he's like, Jerry, could you pray for me? Because I just can't stop cussing. And Jerry's like, no, no, I'm not going to pray for you. He's like, what? And he's like, no, I want you to take that to God in prayer. I want you to pray. And so Jeff, he does. He starts praying and he's like, Lord, please take this from me. I can't, I can't get this off me. I can't stop cussing. And you know, God, he answered Jeff in a way he didn't even know he needed. Because what Jeff found was that the source of his cussing was all his frustration. It was every time he was quick to anger and those words would just pour out. And God, he gave him patience. And so there's times we need patience with ourselves. But we don't just need patience with ourselves, we need patience in our suffering. (laughs) That one's not so fun, is it? But this is the third calling that Peter gives us in in verse 22 of, Verse 21 of chapter 2, he says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. And I want you to see something here. Paul is not, or I'm sorry, Peter is not calling us to suffer. That's just the natural result of the world we live in. We live in an evil and cursed world. People can make evil choices and they affect us. Sometimes they hurt us a lot. We live in this cursed world where there's disease and sorrow and pain and suffering. And sometimes that's just going to happen. We're going to suffer. But what Peter is calling us to is he's calling us in our suffering to follow Jesus' example. You know, we... those verses that might have been popping up in your head, those verses that you were like, wait a minute, trials do, they result in patience, don't they? That's in James and in Romans. And if you open up to James chapter one, verses two through four, you're gonna see that James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you enter into various trials and temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work 
that you may be complete and lacking nothing. But see, the idea isn't here that our our patience comes from trials. The idea here is that our source of patience, we already have, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. But we need to let that patience have its perfect work in us. Just like Romans says in Romans 5, verses 3 through 4, it says, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces patience. Patience produces character, and character produces hope. But just like I told you about what patience meant in Galatians, it's a different word that James and Paul are using here. The word actually means steadfastness. It's probably what it says in your translation. It can mean a sustaining perseverance, a patient endurance. It's something that we're building. You know, and to illustrate this, I, I used to be a gamer when I was a kid. You know, I'd play those multiplayer online games and I was good. We actually, I was one of the best guilds in the server and, and you know, we, we loved playing, but it's a popular game, so there'd always be newbies that would come in. We'd call them noobs. And a, a newbie would come in and he'd start at level one. He'd, he'd start to, he wouldn't know anything. He'd start to build that character. He'd start to level him up. And at some point, those guys would become a force to be reckoned with. You know, but maybe gaming's not your thing. We can talk sports. In sports, you have the peewee league, right? You have little tykes, they play football. And what would happen if you took a little peewee leaguer and you put him in the NFL? <laughs> that kid's gonna get demolished. But what if you took that kid who has these gifts, these talents, and you helped him build those talents and those gifts? He goes through JV and varsity and college ball, and he gets to the NFL, and he's now a force to be reckoned with. And that's what suffering does for us. It's not fun, but we can count it all joy because of what it's doing within us. But you know, we don't just need patience with ourselves or patience in our suffering. We need patience with others. You know, Peter, this is the next calling he gives us. It's his fourth calling. In chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, bless. For this, to this, you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying we've inherited a blessing. And when someone's evil to you, when, they're, when they speak bad of you, when they do something wrong to you, we're not supposed to be those people where hurt people hurt people. We're supposed to answer them with a blessing because that's what we've been given. And you know, there is a rule of blessings in scripture. The rule of blessings is that God blesses us so that we can bless others. And this has never been more apparent to me than when I first started studying the Bible. I had a couple people, they, they told me, they're like, you know, the one book that you should probably never study at this point in your life, you're too young, is the Song of Solomon. And so, yeah, that was the first book that I decided to study because, you know, that's just who I am. But so I started reading the Song of Solomon. It's this love story and it's poetry and to be honest, I didn't get it. I was like reading this and I'm like, man, I don't understand this at all. 
But I knew that Jesus, he's in every book of the Bible. So I knew there had to be something in the Song of Solomon that was important for us to know. And I found some amazing truths. So in Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, you're going to see the bride, she's talking. And the bride, we would equate her to the bride of Christ. It's us. And so in verse 16, it says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. Together in the garden of love, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. So as I'm reading this, I have no idea what the bride's talking about. But so I dove in and I, I found out that in that region, the north and the south wind, they're the, the hottest and the driest re winds in that region. And so, man, that really didn't make sense to me because I'm like, why does the bride want to be uncomfortable? Why is she asking these, these hot, dry winds to come into her life? But see, that's not the thing. The bride knows that those winds are coming. But she's counting it all joy because she knows when those winds come into her life that they're going to produce fruit that is pleasing to her groom. And she loves that. And the groom, who's Jesus, he answers in the very next verse, in verse chapter one, or five, verse one, he says, I came to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my, white, my milk with my wine. And so the groom, he's there with the bride, and man, he is just enjoying this fruit. And that's, that's something about fruit. Fruit is not meant to just be pretty on the vine. It's meant to be pleasing to the Lord. But you know, then there's something interesting here. There's something that, when I first read it, I'm like, what are you doing, Lord? Because he goes on to say, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. And so he's there with the bride, and they're having this amazing time. It's almost like you get in nature, and you, you spend time with God, and you're like, oh, man, I could spend forever here, Lord. Like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's like, let's just set up a tabernacle right here and we'll just hang out. And Jesus, he's like, no, no, no. This is amazing. I do love spending time with you, but what would make it complete is if we brought our friends into it, if we brought our brothers and sisters in Christ into this moment. And maybe that doesn't make sense. You're like, why? But it's because God is about community. is about doing life together. This is why Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God and love people. Because fruit is not just meant to please the Lord. It's meant to nourish others. That's why we can see in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, that love is patient. It's that same word. It's long-suffering. There's forbearance there. There's restraint. There's a slowness and taking offense. You know, Proverbs 19.11, it says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Maybe you're on Facebook. <laughs> Maybe someone's offending you there. Maybe they got it wrong, and you're, you're arguing back and forth, and you're like, honey, I can't come to bed. Somebody's wrong on the internet. And, 
But what God is calling us to do is he's calling us to love those people, to be patient with them. And you know, that's probably one of the hardest places to be patient is not in being slow to take offense. It's when somebody's not in the same place we are. You know, there's been many times in my life where God's brought me through the ringer. I've learned some amazing things. And then I see someone else come along and they're going through the same thing I did. And I get so frustrated. I'm, I'm like, Lord, why don't they get it? And it almost makes you angry. You're like, what is, but God, it, it's almost like in every single one of those times, he's whispered to me, um, didn't that take you like three years to finally figure out? <laughs> it's only been two weeks. Why don't you have a little grace for them? Why don't you love them? Why don't you be praying for them? Because you're not gonna save them with the works of the flesh. It's me, it's God who saves that person. And so we need to be patient with others. But we just don't need to be patient with ourselves in the suffering with others. We need patience with the entire process. And this is my favorite calling that Peter gives us. It's in chapter 5, verse 10. It says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And when I first read this, I'm like, come on, Paul, what... Are you trying to make light of what I'm going through? Like, I get it. You got hung upside down on a cross. You had way more suffering than I did, but I still feel like I've gone through some suffering. But that's not what, what he's trying to say, what Peter's saying. He's saying, look, the God of all grace, he's called you to eternal glory in Christ. He's called you to an eternity in a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in light of that, our perspective is that our suffering is a drop of a drop of a drop in the ocean of eternity. He's not saying you're not suffering. No, you're going through a lot, I'm sure. But what he's saying is that when you're in eternity, man, that perspective is, man, that was... That wasn't that, it was a little. But then he goes on and he says, and I want you to notice this. He says, the God of all grace. And maybe as you've come to church, maybe you know someone who doesn't come to church anymore because someone hurt them. Someone was a hypocrite. Maybe you've been hurt. And so sometimes we look at God and we see him as the God of all hate. The God of all wrath, the God of all dislike. The God who loves us, but he doesn't really like us a whole lot. But that's not what Peter says. He says he's the God of all grace. The God of all favor, the God of all kindness. And I love what he says that he's gonna do for us. He says the God of all grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. I can promise you something and it's not a great promise. You're going to fail. You're going to fall. It's just going to happen. But the God of all grace will restore you. Do you realize that that has been his plan since Adam and Eve till now? He's 
sought to reconcile us to him. From the fall to when he first had the tabernacle built, do you know what he called it? He called it the meeting place because he was, his whole desire was to meet with his people again. And from the tabernacle to the time that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ tabernacled among us. That was his whole reason. He wasn't looking forward to the shame of the cross. No, he was looking forward to the joy of having a relationship with you. But sometimes when we look at God, we're like, we think that he's this heavenly father that's just ready to disown us. Oh, you know what? You're not doing good today. Yeah, you're not my son today. You're not my daughter. Forget it. Oh, okay, you rededicated your life to the Lord. Okay, come on back. You can be my son. You can be my daughter. Oh no, an hour later, you're back at it. You failed again. You know what? Forget it. Would, would any single one of you parents parent your children that way? Would you hang that, that idea of disowning them over their head every single day? So if us being worldly parents would not treat our children that way, why do we think that the God of all grace would do that to us? But what he says is he says, I have called you to eternal glory in Christ. It's not your work. It's mine. And so heaven, listen to me, heaven is your starting place. It's a done deal. And the God of all grace, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we're filled with doubt, he's going to confirm you. When you're weak and you can't, you just can't take it anymore, the God of all grace will strengthen you. When, you. when you're unable to stand and you're adrift and you're lost in the wind, the God of all grace will establish you. You know, another thing I can promise you is that there are going to be times that it does not look like what you thought it would be. I've had many times in my life where I had my plan set. I was going this way and then life took this hard left. And I was like, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. I had this all planned out. This was going to be perfect. All you had to do was bless my plans. <laughs> That's not what he does though, is it? There was a time in my life when yeah, I lost my job. There was a time in my life when I lost my life savings because I trusted someone I loved. There were three separate times in my life when my wife had cancer. There was a time in my life when my son was in the hospital and they were telling me he was gonna die. And I can tell you in every single one of those moments, I came to this place and I was like, what are you doing, Lord? I don't understand. I had this all planned out and this is not what I thought it would look like. And every single one of those times, I felt God whispering to my heart, I know. But give it to me. Let me work on that. And every single one of these times, I saw him rolling up his sleeves and I saw him get to work. 
didn't look like anything that I thought it would look like. And thank God for that. Because, you know, I would not be here today without those things that I've been through. I wouldn't be serving the Lord in the way I am. I would be trusting in myself and in what I could do and not in what he can do. And that's the big point here. This is the thing I don't want you to miss. If you miss everything else, do not zone out right now. Our job is to surrender and give the fruit of the Spirit room to grow in us. Let me ask you guys, what would it look like on Monday? If when you went into that situation or that, to that person you were dreading, and you surrendered it to God. What would it look like if you brought the fruit of the Spirit into that moment? How would it change? So my question to you today, do you want to harvest the fruit of, your, the, fruit of the Spirit in your life today? Do you want God to be working in your life or do you just want to continue trying to do it on your own. Yeah, you're probably gonna mess up. You know, I was watching The Chosen this week and I'd never seen it before. And I love how they depict Jesus in that. And I was watching this episode and, and Mary, God had redeemed Mary Magdalene and she, she just messed up. She, she went back to her old life. And she was so ashamed and she's like, I can't face Jesus, I can't because I messed up. And so they, they bring her back to Jesus and, and she's like, I, I don't deserve you. I messed up. I don't deserve your redemption. And, and Jesus tells her, he's like, you know, if my redemption could be ruined in one day, it's not much of a redemption. And Jesus restores her. He lets her know, because she's like, man, I can't live up to this. I can't live up to what you've done in my life. And what Jesus tells her is he says, I don't need you to live up to it. I, I just need your heart. Do you realize that that is what God is looking for us from us today? We're on that journey. We're going to get there. But today, all he wants is your heart. My favorite, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself mighty for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. So as you go through this week, as you go through the rest of the day, as you're needing patience in the entire process, Remember, the only thing God wants from you is your heart. So if you want to harvest the fruit of the Spirit in your life, then my advice to you is to surrender to the Holy Spirit and give him room to work in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you just for who you are. I thank you that you are a God who who gives us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, who gives us the tools that we need and helps us to even apply those tools. 
I pray that for every single person here that you would speak to their hearts, that you would let them know your love and your grace and your kindness and your compassion for them and that, that, that they would come from that place of intimacy with you. I pray, Lord, that this week we would not forget not just who you are, Lord, but that we would not forget who we are in you. So, Lord, I pray that we would not let the enemy scare us into being ill-equipped for the storms. I pray that we would pray for patience, that we would pray for the fruit of the Spirit in our lives today. Thank you, Lord, for just what you're going to do. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. Thank you.